I invite you to open in your Bibles to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. You may not have to make notes to yourself, but occasionally I do. Comes with the territory, I suppose. Um, this is an important message for you. I am here today, saved by Jesus Christ, called according to the sovereign plan of God, and empowered by the Holy Spirit because a single Sunday school teacher did what God called that Sunday school teacher to do. I've shared my testimony. I've told you that story on a number of occasions. I'm here because someone accepted a challenge, a job, from Almighty God and did it exactly as the Lord had commanded him. And now for the next half an hour or so, I want you to imagine that you and I are the only people here. For, for just a few moments, imagine that this is not a sanctuary full of worshipers. Imagine it's you, and I'm here reading God's Word, and the Holy Spirit is ministering directly to you. And I want you to imagine that as God is present in this place, that you are asking a question of Him. And that question is this, not of me. Not of your family, not of your friend, not of somebody. Uh, some, just imagine that you are here, God's in this place, and you're talking with Him, and you ask Him, Lord, what is my mission here on earth? What is it that you are calling me to do? Now, I ask you to turn to Acts chapter 9. Look, if you will, at verse 1. Remember, as we do this, we're going to be talking about a man named Paul. Paul was also known as Saul. He was called Saul early in his life. He was called Paul later in his life. So if I say Saul, or if I say Paul, I'm talking about the same person, okay? And just a word to kind of help us stay on track here. Now Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound or shackled to Jerusalem. As he was traveling... It happened that he was approaching Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him 
and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why? Why are you persecuting me? And Saul answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but get up, enter the city, and it will be told to you what you must do. The men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him to Damascus, and he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. So he was blind for three days, and he fasted the entire time. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to Ananias in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, about how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem, and here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. Ananias is just simply saying, Lord, I I know about this man. He was the one who was there at Stephen's stoning. He's got permission from the authorities in Jerusalem to arrest us in Damascus and haul us back to Jerusalem to stand trial. This is a dangerous man. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So, Ananias departed and entered the house, and after laying his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, it's interesting here, this is a man who is on a mission to destroy young Christians, and yet Ananias, after hearing from the Lord, he addresses Saul with the name Brother Saul. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales. And he regained his sight and he got up and was baptized and he took food and was strengthened. Now for several days... He was with the disciples who were at Damascus and immediately, immediately, he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. Here's a man who came to Damascus to imprison Christians and now in a matter of just three or four days, he has become a man who is declaring to anyone who will listen, Jesus Christ is the son of God. Now, as Christians, all of us have certain callings 
that God extends to our lives. Every believer in here has these callings. They're not things that happen to some and don't happen to others. If you are a Christian, then you have been called. But these callings come in different forms and varieties. And I want to speak to you this morning about three of them. And uh, we'll start with the one that is apparent here in our story with uh, the Apostle Paul or Saul, as the case may be. Number one, we are called to the Savior. We are called to the Savior. God took the initiative in Paul's salvation. You see, Paul wasn't looking for Jesus, was he? He wasn't looking for Jesus. What was he doing? He was looking for Christians so that he might arrest them and shackle them and carry them back to Jerusalem where they would be tried and punished. Saul wasn't looking for Jesus. But Jesus came looking for Saul. And the same is true in your life and mine. When I was born again in the eighth grade, I wasn't out looking for Jesus. Jesus was looking for me. Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13, Even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief and the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners among whom I am the foremost of all. Jesus saw, Paul says, he came looking for me and he saved me. God takes the initiative in our salvation. God calls us to salvation. Jesus himself said in John 6, 44, no no man can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and he draws him, he draws us by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, I will raise him up on the last day. So we all share this common experience. We don't go looking for the Lord. The Lord comes looking for us. And the Holy Spirit takes the initiative in our life to convict us of sin, to convince us that Jesus Christ is exactly who he claimed to be. And then to cause us to be born again, to be regenerated, to be converted, to be transformed into believers. That's all at God's initiative, all at God's calling. Romans chapter 8 puts it this way in verse 29. Those whom he foreknew. He foreknew you. He saw you in your life before you were even born. He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son. You say, well, well, what does that mean? That means that the Sunday school teacher who led me to faith in Christ, God had already foreordained that He would be the one to speak into my life. Was I free to reject? Sure. But God predestined my opportunity, just like He predestined your opportunity to come to faith. It says he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. 
And these whom he predestined, he also called. There's that word. These whom he called, he also justified, he made right. These whom he made right, he also glorified. He's one day going to glorify us and finish the project. And we're going to be perfect in Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9. The Bible says, God is faithful through whom you were called. Each one of you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. We were called to the Savior, every one of us who is saved in this room, were called to the Savior. You didn't do that. You responded to that call, but that call came from outside you through the power of the Holy Spirit. You were called to salvation in Jesus Christ. And you say, well, okay, I I can see that. But God is not finished with you. He didn't just call you to salvation. He called you to a general purpose. Now, I, since I've written this sermon, I thought I could have probably done better than general purpose, okay? But, but just bear with me. We were called not only to a Savior, we were called to a general purpose. The Apostle Paul was called to do what? To follow Christ. When Saul was blinded by that flash of light on the road to Damascus, he cried out and asked, Who are you, Lord? And the reply was, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but get up and enter the city and it will be told you what you must do. Jesus didn't give any details. He didn't tell uh, the apostle Paul what to do except that he was to go and, and he was to go to Damascus and he would get information on what he was to do. He was, he, he was told basically by Jesus, follow me. And so he was called to salvation. And then Jesus said, from here on out, Paul, you follow me. And that's what Paul did. He followed Jesus. And every single believer in this room is called to do the same thing. We are called to the purpose of following Christ. Our purpose in life is to follow Christ. Uh, Now, there are other ways to say it. Our purpose in life is to imitate Christ, to obey Christ to glorify Christ, but it can all be summed up in this idea of we are to follow Christ. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 2, verse 21, You have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example to follow in His steps. What purpose were we called for? We were called for the purpose of following Christ. Jesus said in John 10, 27, My sheep, now who are my sheep? Well, that's us. My sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they do what? They follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Our general purpose is reflected and outlined also in the Great Commission. You remember the Great Commission? We find it at the end of the Gospel according to Matthew. In Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And that's simply Jesus saying, Look, I am the, I'm the Lord. I'm the boss of your life. I'm in charge. I'm the one who says what needs to happen In your life. And here's what I say. I say go. Go therefore. And make disciples of all the nations. 
make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And so Jesus has got this authority, and he says we are to go, and we are to make disciples. We're to baptize them. We are to disciple them. We are to teach them all that we have been taught, and and that cycle is to go on and on and on. The Great Commission applies to every one of us who are believers, every single one of us. None of us are an exception. None of us can say, well, you know what? I don't have to do that. Because this commission was extended to the entire church. In John chapter 21, Jesus asks Peter three times if he loves him. And each time Peter replies, yes, you remember the story. This is right at the end, and we're talking now about the resurrected Christ. He's been to the cross. He has risen from the dead. He has appeared to the disciples, and, and, and he... And he And he asked Peter, who has denied him three times, he says, Peter, do you love me? Three times Peter said, yes, Lord, I love you. And Jesus said, well, feed my sheep, take care of my sheep, uh, watch over my sheep. And then he adds something. And he tells Peter, a day is coming when taking care of my sheep Doing what I ask you to do, following me, is going to cost you your life. And it did. Peter was crucified upside down because he was, in fact, a preacher of the gospel. Well, when this happens and he tells Peter what's going to happen to him, Peter, knowing that John is there and that John is very close to Jesus. He just turns and looks at John and he says, Lord, what about this man? Now you and I imagine Jesus as a meek and mildly mannered individual, kind, and we don't think of him as confrontational. Uh, But here Jesus responds to Peter who has said, well, what about John? And Jesus replies in modern day vernacular, Peter, that's not your business. Your business is to follow me. And as believers, our general purpose in life, it doesn't matter who we are. It could be BJ, it could be me, it could be any one of you, it could be the folks in the 815 service, it could be the folks that that decided they wouldn't come to church today because they had something else to do. It doesn't matter if you are a born-again believer, if you're the real thing, then your purpose is to follow Jesus. So far, we have two purposes. Uh, We have, I'm sorry, two callings. Uh, You know, we're called to salvation in Christ, and we're called to follow Him. That's simple. That's our general purpose, to follow Him. Well, I believe that finally, the Bible teaches that each one of us is called to a specific mission. We not only have a general purpose of of following Christ, we have a specific mission. Now, let's go back to the Apostle Paul. In our text, the Bible says that after Paul's conversion and the restoration of his sight and his baptism, that he immediately began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogues. And he began immediately saying, well, he's the Son of God. 
And the Apostle Paul started following Jesus the very day he was saved, and he never looked back, and he began fulfilling his general purpose. He was telling everyone that he met, hey, this Jesus, he's the real thing. He's the Messiah. But I want you to notice in time that God gave Paul a more narrow and specific focus. Yes, he was to follow Jesus, but he gave him a specific mission. Look at Acts chapter 13, verse 1. Now there were at Antioch in the church that was there prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was also called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit spoke. And here's what the Holy Spirit said to that group of church leaders. The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, or Paul, for the work to which I have called them. Then when they had finished, or fasted rather, and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. And of course, that was the beginning of all these mission trips we study about in the book of Acts. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8, To me, the very least of all saints, this, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This, now listen to these words, this was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. The Apostle Paul was a a role model for Jews. I mean, he was a Jew's Jew. He he kept the law with, with great precision. He knew all the Jewish rituals and all the teachings of the Jewish people. He he was a man who studied under 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 Gamaliel, a great, great rabbi. He was educated. He he was he was just like I say, he was a Jew's Jew. But here he is sent on a mission trip. And he has a number of mission trips. He's set apart for this, but his mission is more than to the Jews. He is specifically sent to reach the Gentiles with the gospel of grace. And his mission becomes even more specific. So God begins to focus his ministry more and more. Luke writes in Acts chapter 16, And after they, and they means Paul and Silas and Luke and Timothy, came to Mysia, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them, and passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. When he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now that may not seem like 
that big a deal. But it has everything to do with you and why you're here today. You see, Macedonia is a special place. Macedonia is in what geographers call the continent of Europe. Up until this time, the Apostle Paul has been ministering on what continent? The continent of Asia. But here, during the night, he has a vision and there's a man standing and he's saying, come over and help us. And this man is from Macedonia. This man is from Europe. And when Paul answers that call that the Holy Spirit placed on his life, he steps foot in Europe. Now, most of us, part of our family lineage, not all of us, but most of us, part of our family lineage goes back to Europe. Maybe your, your, your folks were from, originally from, your great, 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 great grands. Maybe they were from, um, I don't know, England, Scotland. Ireland, France, Germany, Eastern Europe, Spain, Portugal. I don't know. But what I'm saying is that your spiritual DNA flows through the testimony of the Apostle Paul. Acts 16 is the spiritual D-Day for the gospel in Europe. And you and I came to faith in Christ because the Apostle Paul was faithful to fulfill the specific mission that God gave him to go to Europe. He saw that man of Macedonia standing and appealing, come over to Macedonia and help us. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul did. So here you have it. The the Holy Spirit, number one, we talked about it, calls you. The Holy Spirit, He calls you to a Savior in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit calls us to repent of our sins, put our, our, our trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and to surrender our lives to Him. That is the work of the Holy Spirit in us. He calls us to salvation in Christ. The second thing we learned is that Jesus in turn calls us to follow Him. Luke 9.23 says, If anyone would uh, come after me, Jesus said, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. And so we have this call to salvation, then we have this general purpose call, this call to follow Christ, and then we have this specific call where the Holy Spirit speaks to us about a specific mission and perhaps about many specific missions. Ananias received a specific mission. His mission was to pray for Saul that he might receive his sight and the Holy Spirit. He was to lay his hands on this very dangerous man and he acknowledged to the Lord, I'm kind of scared of this guy. And the Lord says, no, Ananias, it's okay. You go and you do what I've asked you to do. And Ananias was faithful. What if Ananias, whom most people don't even recognize his name or they confuse him with the Ananias and Sapphira, couple that got struck down in the house of God because they lied about an offering. This is not the same Ananias. This Ananias, in fact, is really mentioned in only one context in all the Bible, and that's this thing that he he did for the Apostle Paul where he lays his hands on him and prays for him, and many scholars think he baptized him. What if Ananias had not done what God called him to do? 
it might have been a very long time before the gospel made it to Europe. Now listen. Probably almost every Christian knows the name of Paul, but perhaps very few could tell you Ananias' story. But if Ananias had failed to do his specific mission, then our lives might have well been very different. And so here we're going to make this thing uh, very specific. You have a specific mission. It might be visiting the sick and the homebound. It might be going on mission trips. It could be that God is calling you to the mission of intercessory prayer. It might be that God's calling you to teach a Sunday school class. We have need for Sunday school classes. We we could have Sunday school classes. We don't have enough teachers. We don't have enough people who are willing to go out on a limb and start something new. We need that. There are groups of people we're not reaching because we don't have a teacher. Maybe God is calling you to that. Or it might be serving on a committee. Or maybe God wants you to specifically work with children or with youth or with young adults or with senior adults. Might be singing in the choir. Why is it that we can't have, I don't know, 100 people in the choir? Could it be because some of the people that God wants in the choir are saying, well, I don't know. I mean, don't you have to practice? Yeah. You have to practice. But every single week, You get to sing for the King of Kings. I mean, that's a great privilege. Maybe maybe it's playing an instrument. I'm so thankful at 8.15 for the young people we have that are playing instruments, using their talent for the Lord. That's a wonderful thing. Working on the soundboard. You know, we're always needing people to do some technical things for us with projection and sound and and, and, and radio and all the things that, that have to happen on a Sunday morning. Somebody's riding down the road right now, tuned in to this broadcast, and they're depending on someone back here at First Baptist Church to make sure that the message gets out. Maybe it's being a soul winner. My, how our church needs soul winners. Could be God's call you to that. Or, or volunteering at the church office. We've got things that we need to get done. We just need more people to help us do them. Or keeping the building cleaner. Or working outside. Being a Sunday morning greeter. There there are 10,000 times 10,000 things that need to be done in the kingdom of God. And he, He wants people who are ready like Ananias to do that job. And he needs people to say yes. You never know when you might be called on to be an Ananias. As my ministry here at First Baptist comes uh, to a close, you know, people say, well, Shep, what are you going to do? Well, I've got some things I need to do for my mom. But but, but my primary thing is that... Are you going to go fishing? Well, I'd like to go fishing. I haven't been in a, well, is it a year or seven or eight months? It's been a long time. I'd like to go fishing, but that's not, that's not my primary concern. But God has laid on my heart 
that, the, that this community needs to come together. And, and one of the things I plan to do is to begin a prayer ministry with the pastors of Coffee County, just go around uh, to, to the pastors and just pray with them. And then to continue to seek revival for the churches of our county and nation. That's what I think God specifically has called me to. Is this need for revival in Coffee County. And this need to bring all of our churches together. So we can reach a lost and dying community that's around us. Now my name is never going to be known far and wide. But God will use me for the advancement of his kingdom and the glory of his name. Nancy Lee DeMoss writes... Don't assume you have to be extraordinary to be used by God. You don't have to have exceptional gifts, talents, abilities, or connections. God specializes in using ordinary people whose limitations and weaknesses make them ideal showcases for His greatness and His glory. What a wonderful statement. You are a showcase For the greatness and the glory of God. If you will just simply follow that specific mission he has for your life. 29% of Americans consider themselves to be born again Christians. And if you figure that there are 330 million Americans in this nation. uh, Then that means 95 million Americans are born again believers. Can you imagine What would happen if those 95 million went to work for Jesus doing the specific mission that the Holy Spirit has called them to do? Imagine 95 million Ananiases. Imagine 95 million Apostle Pauls. Imagine 95 million Silases. Imagine 95 million Timothys. 95 million Lukes. 95 million Lydias. 95 million Priscillas. 95 million Phoebes. Imagine all those people working together in the power of the Holy Spirit. Imagine what would happen. When I was preparing this message, I knew this message was important. I never know if it's being received, you know. I would not want to play poker with this church. I just wouldn't. First off, I don't know how to play poker. But I know that you've got to keep a straight face. And you guys are great at straight faces. I want you to know that. I have no idea if it's getting across. You know, 815 is the contemporary service. That's where everybody's saying hallelujah, you know, and praise God and all that. And you, You start preaching and they're just kind of like. I don't know if it's getting across. But I know it's God's message. And sometimes God affirms something. And praise God that he does because many weeks go by. Nothing gets affirmed to me. But I'll tell you what happened this morning after the 815 service. Here's what happened. After the 815 service, I saw a face that I didn't recognize. Now, that's no big deal because there's a lot of you that I've known for a long time and I still don't recognize. But I saw someone I didn't recognize. It was a man, a woman, and a fairly young child. And Cleve Ragsdale was talking to them. I said, I need to go greet those people. And um, so I walked back there. And found out they were from Florida. They were visiting in this area. And they're staying out at the Coffee State Park 
and they never miss a Sunday in God's house. And they were away from their church in Florida, so they decided to come and be a part of what was happening here because they're Baptists and they attend a Baptist church in the, in the town that they're a part of there in Florida. Now, you remember when I tried to make this message personal, that the first thing that I said was, it might be that God is calling you to visit the sick and the homebound. I don't know why that was the first thing I would put on my list of possibilities. But this lady in the back of the church, seated, I don't know, three or four rows behind where JL seated right now, this lady volunteered that just not long ago, she had stepped down from her job, and she was a, a young lady in the prime of her, her life, career life. She had stepped down from her job for one year, for one year, to visit the sick and the homebound. And I said, thank you, Lord. And then I got to thinking, what if all of us did that little thing, that Ananias thing that God has called us to do? Can you imagine the impact that this lady had? And as she was sharing her testimony, tears were welling up in her eyes as she was talking about all the people that she had met and all the prayers that she had offered and all the hands that she had held, taking a year off from her career to go and visit the sick and the homebound. Can you imagine what would happen if we did what God calling us to do specifically I'll tell you what would happen it would change this church and change this community because God might be calling some of you to go out and to be soul winners do you know that there are probably more people here today in this building than there were when the disciples gathered in the upper room. What do they have? 120? You know what happened the next time they gathered to worship? 3,000 people received Christ. Why? Because like Ananias, they were faithful to the call. You want to know why the church buildings in America aren't full this Sunday morning? It's because God's people are not answering God's call to specific work. They may be saying, I'll follow Jesus. They may say, I've trusted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. But what they haven't done is say, Lord, wherever you call me, I will go. Whatever you ask me to do, I will do. I will do whatever it takes to fulfill your call in my life. That's what needs to happen at First Baptist Church. question is, will you do what I mentioned at the beginning of the message? Will you cry out to Almighty God and ask Him this one question? What is my mission here on earth? Would you pray with me? Lord, I know this is your message. And I know it is your message for this church at this time. God, I pray that you'd raise up some people like that lady I met after the 815 service from Florida. 
I, re- I pray, Father, that you'd raise up people that would be willing to set aside the things of this world for the things of the kingdom, that would not give offer excuses or begin to object to what it might cost them, Father, but they would do whatever you ask. God, I pray that'll be true in my own life. God, I pray whatever you ask me to do, I will do. No questions asked, no objections, no excuses. Whatever you ask me to do, Lord, I pray I'll do it. And Father, I pray that every member of First Baptist Church, not just the ones here today, not just the ones at 815, Lord, I pray all of them. Some of them haven't darkened the doors of this church in a year. I pray, Father, that you would work in their lives bring them to a place of complete surrender, and they would say, Lord Jesus, whatever you ask of me, I will do for your glory. May that begin even this day. In the mighty, precious, powerful name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.